Good morning, Veritas. I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. And sometimes um, when, when you open God's Word, this is what it feels like to preach through a book like Hebrews. Um, less, I feel less like a zookeeper and more like a safari guide. Okay, if, you, if any of you have been on a safari, um, the animals are wild in their natural habitat and they can kill you. Okay, my job is to try to keep everyone safe this morning. But uh, we are encountering God in his word, which is God in his natural habitat. And he's not caged in this morning. And it's going to, he might get kind of close to our vehicle as we drive (laughs) through this text. And it's the most beautiful thing when you encounter the living God. Would you... Just Can we just have a moment to just bow your heads with me and you're like, we just did that. We just prayed. No, just just kind of close your eyes with me for a second. And I just want you to, in this moment, invite Jesus Christ to get as close to you as he wants. Just in, and as close as you want. Just, just invite him. Say, Jesus, um, I, I invite you to get close. Jesus, this is our only hope, is that you draw near to us, Lord. I have no way of knowing the struggles and the challenges that every person in this room has faced, or the things that they're looking at in the future that they're afraid of or anxious about, but but you do, and we just don't want to see you behind glass safely caged in in our little Jesus box, compartmentalized in that part of our life. We just invite you to come. Uh, If you need to wreck our lives, do that. We just invite you to, because we know that you wrecking it is actually you putting it together in the most beautiful way. So just, just come. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us this morning. Amen. I want to start with a few verses from our passage, Hebrews 3. We're going to look at verses 6, 12, and 14, and you'll see this common theme throughout the whole passage. And I really want you to understand the tension of this chapter. And then we're going to work through the whole chapter, but but just see this thread. Verse 6, and we are Christ's household... If we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. Verse 12, watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Verse 14, for, if, for, for we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. Here's the problem. The writer is writing to a group of people. The book is called Hebrews. These are Jewish people, Hebrew people, who are struggling in their faith in Jesus. They're struggling with their confidence that Jesus is the Messiah. 
Because since they've come to know Jesus, they've been ostracized, cast out of their families. Some of them have lost properties, lost jobs. They're suffering. And they're wondering, they're kind of asking the question, maybe Jesus isn't the Christ. Maybe he does have a rival and an equal. Maybe it is Moses. Maybe it is the law. Can he really be greater than our forefathers? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, these great people of the Old Testament. There was a social pressure to not follow Jesus. And so they're asking the question, is Christianity worth it? Now, let me start with this question How does somebody become a Christian? Like, what does it take to become a Christian? I mean, how many years of church do you have to go through for that to be like, yes, I'm a Christian? How many uh, do you have to do confirmation? Like, what if you missed all that as a kid and now you're older and you don't know what to do? Well, here, let me just tell you how. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. So a confession with your mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior. You believe in your heart, Paul says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, you will be saved. You are a Christian. There's nothing more you have to do than that. But we all know people who have done that. They've confessed with their mouth. They believed in their heart. And they've walked away from their faith. Or they've drifted away from their faith. And it's like, hey, whatever happened to so-and-so? And And it's like, yeah, I haven't seen them in years. I don't know where they are. Or some of them, they're like very bold about it. They're out there on social media. Like, I used to be a Christian, but now I'm da-da-da. Like, that's, all of us can think of people in our lives that have fallen away. And so Hebrews is addressing that this morning. That's, the question is, is your faith authentic? That's the question of this passage and really a challenge of this this whole book. Authentic, that idea of undisputed origin, genuine, the real thing. Is your faith authentic of undisputed origin that yes, you did confess with your mouth, you did believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and you are saved? How do you know that that is authentic? Well, here's another question. How can you find out the answer to that question? Verse 6, it says, you saw the passages, if we hold on to our confidence. Verse 14, he says, if we hold firmly until the end, we will see that we have come to participate with the Lord Jesus. So here's the answer to that question. How do you know If your faith is authentic, Hebrews answers that question with this. Perseverance is the proof of authentic faith. Perseverance is the proof that your faith is the real thing. What we're saying is, some of of you guys have heard of this statement, like someone will ask, hey, does Veritas believe in eternal security? Or once saved, always saved. Do you know what they mean by that? That means if you become a Christian, can you lose your salvation? 
people ask that question. Well, the answer to that, the simple answer is no. We at Veritas, we do not believe the Bible teaches you can lose your salvation. But I don't think that those are the best phrases to describe what we mean by that, eternal security. That sounds like I prayed a prayer at youth camp and now I'm eternally secure. I'm good. It's hard to read passages like this and come to that conclusion. That, oh yeah, I went through that class. My, my uh, kids were inviting their friends, to, so a couple of friends from school to church, and they're like, we already did that. We already did confirmation, so we don't need to go to church. It's like, I, okay, so eternal security, once saved, always saved, is probably not the best phrases. Historically, the way they have articulated this doctrine of eternal security is they called it the perseverance of the saints. That the true saints of God will persevere to the end. And it's not their persevering that gets them saved. It's the perseverance that proves that they were saved. See how he says it in verse 14. We have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly. He's not saying if we hold firmly, then we will be. No, he's saying the perseverance proves the reality of something that's in the past. Let me try to illustrate this. Imagine that I'm a mountaineer. And I lead a climb to Mount Everest. And I say, okay, all the real mountaineers in this room are welcome to join me. And everyone books their flights. And we go to Mount Everest. We're at this base camp. And I look out. And I don't just see a few of you real mountaineers that have joined me. There's like a hundred people there. And I'm the leader of this group. And I'm like, oh no. There's no possible way that there are a hundred true mountaineers in Veritas Church. There's no way. But all of you that have shown up at base camp look the part. You've got your Patagonian North Face puffy coats and boots and ice picks and all the ropes and all the stuff, and you all look the same. Now, how would I go about sorting out the real mountaineers from the imposters and the posers? How would I do that? What would I do to sort out those groups of people? Well, I would start climbing. Okay, all of you profess to be mountaineers, let's find out. And so off we go. Now, before we leave base camp, I gather all of them and I make the announcement, hey, some of you here are not real mountaineers. In fact, many of you are not. Most of you are not real mountaineers, but think you are. Now listen, this is Hebrew's language. I've adapted verse 14 for my illustration. You will know that you have come to participate in our group as a real mountaineer if you stick with me to the end and make it back to base camp. If you end up back here, you will know you were a real mountaineer. The rest of you will be frozen in time 
up on the mountain, which is an actual problem. Uh, it's a fascinating YouTube rabbit hole. But anyway, um, lots of frozen bodies up there. Now, perseverance, listen, doesn't make you a real mountaineer. That was a little morbid, sorry. Kids, the kids are in class, so we don't have to worry about that. We're adults. Perseverance doesn't make you a real mountaineer. It just separates the real from imposters. Does this make sense? You, this is like really important for you to understand this before we go on and explain this. Perseverance doesn't, you trying your hardest doesn't turn you into a mountaineer. It just reveals what's really true of you. So the writer of Hebrews is not saying that you have to persevere in, in these good works to earn your salvation. That was already done at the cross. It's the perseverance that proves what is truly in your heart. Are you saved this morning? I mean, really saved, not just pray to prayer, baptized, confirmed. He tells us two areas where saved people persevere. Now we're going to start at the beginning, chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle. Apostle means sent out one and high priest. We're going to spend the next seven chapters explaining high priest, so we won't spend a lot of time on it this morning. But consider Jesus. This is the main focus of the text. Put your eyes on Jesus. Think about Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Verse 2, he was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was in all God's household. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Now, every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household, as a testimony to what would be said in the future but Christ was faithful as a son over his household. And we are that household if we hold to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. Here's the first thing, if you are saved, you will persevere in. You will persevere in your confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. He wants us to see the greatness of Jesus Christ. He's like, when you think about all the amazing people in the Bible, who's the goat? Who's the greatest of all time? Now, he compares Moses, so he compares Jesus to Moses. If you've never read the Old Testament, uh, you need to know this. Moses is, he's like the goat of the Old Testament. He's, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about him in a second, but, but he is the man. You can watch that uh, Disney film, Prince of Egypt, if you want to hear uh, in animated form. They did a great job with the, the Disney movie to, uh, to see the story of Moses and the Exodus and all that. Um, seriously, actually, go and watch that. Um, watch it um, to, see, to see Moses. But, but he's wanting to know who's the greatest. And how do we determine the goat? How do we determine greatness? 
we compare them to somebody else, right? So we compare people, that's how we know. Comparison is actually how we measure greatness. Uh, and so he's doing the old versus new. You're gonna see this throughout the book of Hebrews. And I just wanna illustrate kind of how we do this. So if you're wanting to see like the greatest movie of all time, you, you pick a movie, pick an old movie. It's a Wonderful Life would be one. Okay, so some of you are like, yes, definitely the greatest movie of all time. Others of you are like, no way. And you compare it to something new. So look at something new like Star Wars, okay? Um, okay, now we can begin a debate because we have a comparison. Some of you are like, well, it's different genres. We can't really know. Not a good comparison one-to-one. -one. I don't care which movie is better. We start comparing. We start arguing. Uh, well, no CGI back then. So you had to rely on character development, stories, all that. And nostalgia adds to the problem. Some of you are like, I grew up watching It's a Wonderful Life every Christmas. It's definitely the best. Well, do you have to factor in all these things so it's kind of confusing? Or you could go into like architecture. You could talk about old, um, this is uh, La Sagrada Familia, this architect, Antony Gaudi, is that right? Um, designed one of the most amazing uh, buildings of all time. And you can compare that to someone like Frank Lloyd Wright, uh, some of you uh, in Veritas, super big Frank Lloyd Wright fans. Um, and so you can compare, like, like which is greater? So you compare. Uh, obviously, some of you are like, uh, movies, art, I mean, architecture. Let's talk sports. That's where things really matter. This is where things get turned up, and we really start to debate the GOAT. And so one of the hottest sports... Uh, <laughs> Uh, oh, that's me, old. Um, that's me. Let's compare it to someone new like Nigel Houston. Um, there's Nigel. Um, I, so here's the thing. Like, I have the excuse now. Yeah, but I'm too old to be doing stuff like that. You know, so, I mean, I could, you know. I could if I wanted to, but I'm just old, so it's not worth the, no, I couldn't do that. But we can argue, right? Well, it's a different style back in the day, you know, ramps, jumps, and now rails and stuff like that. And, and so we can, we can begin those debates, but there's always like never a super clear who's the greatest, right? There's always going to be an argument for the past. Now, here's, here's where you got to see. Here's what he's doing. Okay, next one. Moses. Here's what he's saying. Moses was the goat. Now, it's hard for us because we can't, it's hard for us to get back to the minds of the original Hebrew audience. But this was like actually a real debate. This wasn't like Mark versus Nijah debate. This is like, no, Moses might be greater. Look, God used him to rescue the people from slavery in Egypt. I mean, he was the mediator between God and the people of God. God revealed the Ten Commandments to him, gave them to him. Maybe he is the greatest. He led the people 40 years in the wilderness. And then we compare that to Jesus. Jesus, he is the mediator. He didn't rescue his people from slavery in Egypt. He rescued his people from sin and death. He didn't sacrifice a lamb as a symbol of removing the sins of the people in the Passover. He is the Passover lamb. 
whose blood rescues us from the wrath of God. Jesus spent 40, not 40 years, he spent 40 days in the wilderness and conquered Satan in the wilderness through temptation and trials. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, persevere in your confession that Jesus Christ is the greatest of all time and not just that, he's Lord. And he talks about this house language like Moses was a servant in the house, but Jesus, he built the house. He owns the house. And he's talking about the people of God, not just a structure. He's talking about the church. Jesus is Lord of all. Never lose your confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. Never compromise. Never domesticate Jesus to try to fit him in your life. Always bow before him as king, as God, as Lord. Persevere in that. Now verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Okay, in, in this chapter, three times, he talks about this idea of today if you hear his voice. What that means is today if you hear his voice, he's quoting a psalm, and he's saying, if God's words are fresh in your ears right now, don't, whatever you do, don't just go home and turn on the football games and forget the voice of God that you hear right now. God is speaking to you right now. Today, if you're hearing his voice, don't let your heart get hard. Open your heart. Invite him in. Welcome him in. Don't harden your heart, verse 8, as, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Again, a reference to the people of God in the time of Moses. He said, verse 9, were your ancestors. They tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. They saw God's works. Let me just stop here. Some of you, you may have had this thought before, like, if I could see the miracles that they saw back in the Old Testament, I would never doubt God. I would totally follow him. That is not true. For reasons like this, in verse 10, he's saying, they saw God do miraculous things for 40 years they went out every morning and collected the bread, the miraculous manna, bread from the ground. We are no different than them. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. Verse 11, so I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Now just stop here for a minute and think about what he's saying. These people were saved. They walked out of Egypt. They experienced Passover, the blood of the lamb. They walked through the Red Sea, parted. They experienced the miracles, but what happened? They fell short of heaven. They will not enter my rest, that land of Canaan, but also the future promised land. They were with the people of God, 
but they were not God's people. So verse 12, watch out, brothers and sisters, so that, we, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So he just compared Jesus and Moses. Now he's comparing us and them. He says, I don't want you to miss out on heaven like they missed out on heaven. Have any of you noticed that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, your life actually gets harder in some ways? I've talked to people this week where some of their choices to really follow Jesus have gotten them sideways with parents and in-laws and relatives. And all of a sudden, you show up at Thanksgiving and you're the only one that is weird because you're not joining in to the political mockery and and just getting wasted and doing all the things, slandering people, making fun of people, just like doing kind of the, the drunken party. And, and it's like you're just by yourself and it's weird. It's awkward. Or people on social media think you've lost your mind, right? Because you're no longer with them. It was, in some ways, it would relieve a lot of pressure if you just stopped walking with Jesus. I mean, think of how much more money you would have, right? If you're not giving your money away, you're not doing the tithe thing. Like you would just, it would just be easier, right? You wouldn't have to deal with, with worrying about giving your time and your money. And... But what would that demonstrate about your faith? 1 John 2.19, it says, they went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. Just because you started out on the journey toward Mount Everest with us, you're quitting proved you were never really one of us. If you fall away and deny Jesus Christ, you don't lose something that you had, you just prove that you never had it. That's kind of what the the language here is. So yes, this is a sobering reality, this verse. I think that one of the most haunting verses in the whole Bible, maybe the most haunting word in the whole Bible is when Jesus was preaching in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, remember this? And what does he say? Many will come in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? And in your name do many miracles. And what does Jesus say? Who are you? Depart from me, I never knew you. If there's one word that you might want to 
like take out of the Bible if you could, it would be that word many. Many will come in that day, on judgment day, and say, Lord, Lord. He's like, "Uh, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. This is kind of what the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand that, that many will not hold firmly to the end. Now, this is where the application is so important. What you do with all that we have just said to this point is very important because some of you are gonna take this and be like, this is gonna turn you into like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm saved. Am I saved? Am I not? That is not the application to this. The application to this is verse 13. It's not to doubt your salvation, but, verse 13, but encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Let me read it again. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. My hope and my prayer for every single individual person in this room is that your heart will not be hard, that you are a real Christian, a real follower of Jesus Christ. And even though the journey is way harder than a journey to Mount Everest, I'm telling you, following Jesus Christ is way scarier than taking that summit, right, to Everest. But good news Uh, your lead climber, your lead mountaineer is not me, okay? If I don't make it back to base camp, you know I was the imposter. But the leader of this whole thing is Jesus, the great high priest who is carrying us along on this journey, calling us along. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, you guys tell each other, speak to each other, keep going. You can make it, you can do it. You're in this, we are in this together. Encourage each other. How often? Daily. I love that. Every single day of our lives, we need encouragement. We were talking to this guy, John Orberg, or not uh, John, not John Orberg, Ray Orland. I always get these guys confused. Love both of them. Ray Orland's an old pastor, and Jeff and I were talking to him on one of our little podcast things, and and he he said this to us, and I'll never forget this. He goes. Have you ever met somebody that's just too encouraged? No. You know what? Every single person needs just a little bit more encouragement. I've been a Christian a while. You know what I need? I need daily encouragement. And I think you're the same way. And so... The application here, the two areas we need to persevere in is one is persevere in our confession. Number two, persevere in sticking together. Sticking together. And he says the way to not have an evil, unbelieving heart that gets hardened by sin's deception is to encourage each other daily. You know, there's that that statement, if you want to go faster, go alone. But if you want to go further, go together. Church, we're going together, right? We're going together. We're going to make it through all the 
political chaos and COVID chaos and all the opinions, we're gonna make it, right? Because we're committed to stick this thing out. Like moving away from each other and I don't canceling you. Like that's not an option for us. It might be for them, it's not for us. We're gonna make it through, church, and it's gonna be great. We're gonna have some great conversations along the way, some great disagreements, but we will never disagree about this. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. The body broken for us, the blood shed for us, and it's gonna bind us together, and we're gonna keep walking and keep encouraging each other, and we are gonna make it through. And so sticking together quickly means three things. One, showing up. Just, I mean, obviously, you're gonna have to show up if you're gonna make it. I mean, one of the first signs that someone is drifting away from Jesus is that they are drifting away from the people of God. You will not make it alone. You were designed for community. This would be a great time. I think this is the service that's, we're speaking to some online friends and I just encourage you to find community, people in your life to encourage you daily. Gotta show up got to be there. we got tons of opportunities for this. I mean, this week's kicking off some of the, you know, I mean, there's connection groups going, there's men's studies, there's women's studies, there's men's groups, there's opportunities to connect with each other. Second, sticking together means having the courage to speak a loving rebuke. Nobody wants to be the person to have to go to that person and say, hey, man, you're drifting from Jesus. Where have you been? How have you been doing? Nobody wants to call out a friend for how their passion for other things, worldly things, has taken their attention away from Jesus. But if we're going to stick together, we're going to have to have the courage to pursue those people who might be wavering in their faith and, and encourage them. We're not, we're, not, we're not yelling at them. We're not mad. We're just like, hey, we love you too much to let you go. And I want to give just a word of encouragement. Some of you are like, man, this seems impossible. Um, I just want to tell you this. Um, this whole, we have songs about this stuff, like prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. I wander all the time and I need community. There's this guy, Eugene Peterson, this old pastor, he said, there are no experts in the company of Jesus. We are all beginners, necessary followers, because we don't know where we're going, right? We're all just this group of people together, prone to wander, prone to leave the path, and we need people to keep encouraging us. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. The fact that you are here this morning says there is something in you that's saying, do not give up. Keep going, keep climbing, take that next step. Last thing, sticking together means having the humility to receive a loving rebuke. 
I know my heart is hard if I stop listening to my trusted brothers and sisters in Christ around me. I need to have the humility to say, I need the encouragement. Let's, let's pray together as we close our time. The longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, ends with this verse. I wander like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commands. Jesus, as we worship, as we witness these baptisms, would you seek us and remind us of our confession and our heavenly calling? Amen.